podcast, I have a very interesting gentleman by the name of Miguel Marino. He comes from Indiana in the States, but is currently in Egypt and has created or is part of a band that plays the lyre or is focused on the lyre as an instrument, a musical instrument in that band. The name of his band is O-Tac Band. Welcome to the podcast, Miguel. Thanks a lot. I've been listening to your music on Bandcamp and as far as the content that we've had so far here on the podcast, it's a very different sound. Mm -hmm. And given that you're currently in Egypt, you know, there's a connection there with the style of music that you play through this lyre music and so on. Now, what we'll do first is we'll speak about your musical story. Like, how did you get into music and what's mm -hmm. your story there? Sure. Um, yeah, well, thanks for having me very much. And uh, I've, I've liked music my whole life and started playing it very early on. Um, the first, I, you know, I sang and, and played and took piano lessons as a child and played the cello briefly when I was a kid. That's how I started music. But then I started playing the drums at age 10. Um, and that's what I've continued with. And I still play the drums. Um, and I went through high school playing a lot of music in high school, big bands, jazz bands, uh, went to music school on drums at University of Miami. You know, I did the jazz degree there on, on drums. And soon after that, um, I finished university in uh, 2008. And then early 2009, I went to Egypt uh, to try and meet, meet back up with some musicians that I had met on a previous trip there when I was still in the university, I went, I went to Egypt on a visit and met some of the local musicians. And um, the whole experience was amazing. And so when I finished school, I sort of sort of looking for something to do. And I went back to Egypt, intending to stay for about six months. And I ended up staying for three years that that first oh time. My goodness. Which is when... And what was it that really attracted you to Egypt? I mean, was it the style of music, or the genre? Was it just the cultural aspect? Well, when I went on that in initial visit, um, I hadn't seen this lyre instrument yet. Um, I had met other musicians, other drummers, um, and some of the local musicians who were just phenomenal. And and the whole trip, and I got to you know I got to do several things during that first trip, but it was the whole experience was great. And when I finished university, I just wasn't really able to do much else. Um, and I said. I'm just going to go back to Egypt and see if I can't start a new project with these musicians or just play with them or just do something different. And so I went back and then started to make friends very quickly and started to learn Arabic language, which also I continued with over the years. And that's become sort of a second career as a linguist, too. <laughs> yes. OK. Yeah. Um, and then and and that that when I went back to stay there, that's what I got introduced to the guys who played these lyre instruments. A lot of Sudanese musicians. Yes, um, it's very particular, very, you know, connected to that area. So talking about the lyre as an instrument, I mean, the first, I suppose, people hear of the lyre in many cases is in biblical texts. Yeah. And um, I'd be thinking of the Psalms in the mm. Old Testament as an example. So can you speak to the history of the lyre, where it came from and how is it used even now mm. in modern culture? Yeah. Um, right. The, uh, like you said, um, you know, King David's lyre is kind of part of uh, part of the legend um, or the Greek lyre is also sort of well known. Apollo, Apollo and his lyre 
that's sort of well known. But the East African lyre, these I mean, these are the oldest, these are the oldest complete instruments. These are the oldest instruments where you have rhythm and harmony and melody all happening simultaneously. Okay. And they're played all over East Africa. Um, Egypt, and what Sudan. are they made, given that they're coming from very, I presume, rural, rustic environments, what are they made from? They can be made from anything. Um, they can be made from wood or a gourd or a jerry can, uh, wood or plastic. Um, it's yeah, a super yeah. homemade type of thing. Um, and you really can make them out of any material, which is why you cannot make two alike. Um, right. okay. Each instrument is unique and sounds and has its own sound, and you can't you can't make two alike, nor can you play it the same way twice. Right. Okay. As a player, you really can't play it the same way twice. And typically, how many strings are on a lyre? Typically, um, it begins with a five-stringed lyre because each each finger uh, will touch one string, mm -hmm. opposite to the guitar or. A violin or an instrument with a neck here you don't push down on any string and change the notes here you mute and unmute open strings i mean the lyre is a harp it's a small harp so it has open strings but in this case you mute the strings and strum at it at the same time rather than just picking at it or okay. like a like a harp but that is a style too Okay, and I presume it's very tied into traditional styles of music in Egypt, Sudan, and so forth. It's not, is it used in contemporary circles? Well, in, in, it's a folk instrument, and it's used in an astounding variety of folk music. I mean, if you think about the entire region of East Africa and the Red Sea, mm -hmm. as well as Saudi Arabia and Yemen, the whole Red Sea uh, region and East Africa, that's an unbelievable variety of um of, for these instruments and traditions, but it's a folk instrument. Who is using it in in the contemporary setting is me. Okay, so you're bringing it into our world. You're the I'm, guy bringing uh, it into our world. What I'm interested, I uh, I have one. This whole OTAC band project it has two sides. One is to study the instrument and to travel and document and research, and me as a musician learning more as as a musician does. Um, to study the instrument and the history. And then on the other side, I like to use it as a complete musical instrument to compose and just, try new things. I was just going to lead into that about, you know, documenting all the folk music styles, as you just described around the region that you mm. just mentioned. Is there many people documenting this cultural music, trying to um, record it for long-term history's sake? Um, there, uh, there are. Uh, in Egypt, the strongest... Um, movement for that in Egypt is through an organization called the Mastaba and Zakaria Ibrahim. He's the leader and founder of that organization. Um, and particularly the, the area of the Suez Canal, um, where they play the instrument, where there they call it Simsimeya. And in other places, they call it other things. So lyre is the American, you know, the English word, or the lira, the Latin word. But um, in all these different they has a million different names in, in all these different traditions, which sort of points to the the style when you when you say it a name for it, it sort of points to a particular location tradition of it. Mm -hmm. okay. Um yeah, but in Sudan I've seen some documentaries about music in Sudan um that that talk about it. Um 
and it's it's uh, in Ethiopia. It's a very well known, very well known instrument, and Sudan especially on kind of a general level because it's so it is very present in folk music. Egypt not so much. I mean, even Egypt they know about the Suez Canal area, um, and and the Simsimeya style, but tambura playing, I'd like to call it in Sudan called tambur and many other names. I know I'm sort of jumping around here, uh, but. Um, in Sudan, it's it's kind of the national instrument. Yes, um, okay. And for people with uh, a real strong interest in music connected to culture and history, mm -hmm. is there an opportunity there for more and more people to get involved in the documenting of such an instrument? I hope. Um, I hope that that happens. Um, as far as yeah, the, where are the opportunities? I myself am looking for more opportunities to, to to make this happen. You know, yeah. over the since over the last 13, 14 years that I've been interested in um, that I lived most of it in Egypt. Um, um, I've and I've been to the Sudan. I've been to Ethiopia. So you've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of culture oh, I, and, and music connected into culture. Yeah, when I try to, when I've made trips, you know, to see, and I do, I record what I can. Um, but um, I am always looking for the sponsorship, you know, to keep this sort of double-sided project going. One is a documentation and preservation project because it's an it's an important instrument that has such a wide variety, um, and um, and just the instrument i mean just the instruments themselves being that everyone is unique i mean you can just see an incredible variety of 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 music of so in with your knowledge of we'll say music from the western side um uh -huh. how do you see the lyre being applicable in western music or how can it be used like i immediately think of in a wide ranging new age music, for example, does it fit into that arena of music or what, where could you see it fitting in? It, it fits into ev absolutely every genre and every, and everything you can, you can think of. And that's what, that's what I've tried to do a lot on my own. And that's what I hope that people will call me to collaborate on mm -hmm. and they will give me ideas for ways to use these instruments. I mean, in like in the OTAC band records, um, I've tried, um, I've tried, I've experimented with different recording techniques to get different colors and kind of texture out of them, layering different instruments together that have very different sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, just really trying to experiment with the amount of kind of colors you can get out of these instruments. But you know, I've, I've uh, played, I've played a rock song using the lyre instead of a guitar. I've, I've developed different, I've used all the effects and the wah-wah and trying to get all these different sounds out of it. Um, so for those people that want to experience the sound, they can go to your website and mm -hmm. click on from there to listen to your records. And currently, uh, just before this interview, I was researching your music and you have three albums. Yeah. You have, can you just, well, tell us about the three albums rather than me trying to pronounce the names right. and getting it wrong. Well, the 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 first album called Bijaweya and that came out in uh, 2012, mm -hmm. um, and that's when I when I had started the band back in 2009, early on living in Egypt um, with a spectacular singer from Eastern Sudan, um, from Bija community, and the Bija play the lyre originally, 
The lyre is a pharaonic age instrument. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so the bija um, play the lyre and have a very particular style of singing. And this gentleman is named Ahmad Said Abu Amna, and he is one of the great voices ever. Um, not too many people have heard of him, but I mean, to me, you know, he's he's in the category of Yusuf Undur, as far as a vo like one of the historic voices in, okay. in really in this particular in this particular tradition. Okay. Um, so he and I started the group together, and that album Bijaweya was had kind of three things. It had his, it had him singing traditional songs and playing the lyre or the tambur, or what in the Bija language they call masankop, you know, so that's their word for it, masankop. Um, he sang some of his own songs and his own melodies that I would create an arrangement for. And I wrote some melodies on the tambur that then he would write words to. So we kind of had so those a really three. true clever collaboration between the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And that album got reviewed by Afropop worldwide. And there's also a podcast I made for Afropop also kind of about this whole story with a lot of sound clips and everything. Mm -hmm. But that album with him, Bijaweya, was great. And that was the first time that this that BJ music had ever been recorded in a professional way. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. The second album, then then he came to the states. He came to the states twice, and that second album was a live concert from uh, from that tour, from that first tour. Okay. And then the 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 following album. Um, sorry, there when you, when you talk about a tour, how was the music received in the states? It was great. People loved it. Did yeah, we got yeah. we did a tour from Indiana up to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, it was about three weeks. We had uh, three musicians from from Indiana, from the area, with us. Only Ahmed came. Um, yeah, Otak Band has always kind of been a revolving a revolving thing. Um, but we played we played for about three weeks, and we had some TV interviews. We had some newspaper and radio spots. Um, and um, it was great. People loved it. I remember one concert where people actually had looked up a, some words in the Bija language and called them out to him on stage. Yeah, yeah. There was you know? so that was pretty. That was pretty fascinating. Yeah, very interesting. Um, very interesting. Yeah. And, and your third so album. I, the right. So that that had a great reception, and the third album was also kind of a, a, a duo collaboration with another folkloric singer in Egypt named Ali El Abedi, who's an old friend of mine, dear friend, who also has built many of the instruments that I have used over the years. This gentleman, who I also knew from way back, from around the time I met Ahmed Said too. Um, and he he's a machinist in his, you know, his whole career, he was a machinist, but he had a hobby of building musical instruments. And so he could build lyres and drums he can make anything but over the years he's made many instruments including lyres which i use in my music um, and i'm just wondering there <clears throat> that you have in in countries like egypt and sudan and so forth there are particular people who know how to make these instruments and to mm -hmm. maintain that skill mm -hmm. uh i presume it needs funding it needs money it needs encouragement so mm -hmm. have you thought about these aspects of of maybe creating projects to encourage those people to keep making those instruments to keep the whole genre of music alive yeah in, in, the, 
Right, in the Sudan, I mean, in the Sudan, for example, in Khartoum, there's a guy who rolls around on a cart who sells them off of a cart. Okay. And he, like, you can find him on the street. Um, and then, and that's his cart, and he's got a workshop where he makes them other places. In Aswan, in Egypt, in southern Egypt, I met a gentleman who also makes them and has five or six just kind of sitting around. But there has to be a demand, too. Um, uh, you know, and the question there, is, is there a demand? I mean, in the local communities... Well, is there not, a demand? Is there an interest? Not really. Um, in in Port Said and Ismailia and Suez in Egypt in the Suez Canal in those three cities, because of this very strong uh, movement for preserving this instrument led by Al Mustaba organization, they do have groups for young kids, um, and there are two or three guys in the area that 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 make instruments, um, and it's sort of it's sort of promoted, um, but it's not. The thing is. Uh, folk music is sort of a thing that you just kind of come into and you pick it up or you or yes. you don't. It's a thing mm -hmm. that's just kind of around. Yeah. Um, now, like when I've lived um, in Europe um, and back in the States, sometimes people have said, well, have you thought about teaching the Simpson May? I was like, sure, I would be happy to teach it if someone was inter interested in it. And then how do you get them an instrument? Um, either Either we can make one together or I can I can show someone how to make one, or I can get one from Egypt or from the Sudan. I can get them. They're actually very easy to make. It's really pretty straightforward to make one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but you have to make your instrument. You, like you can't really just go and find one if you if you don't live in Egypt. And even in Egypt, you got to go hunting for it a little bit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wish that there were that there will be a demand for it, and if and I encourage people to also get in touch with me to figure out how we can you know how we can get you one if you're interested in. Yeah, in I'm thinking there's such there's such a cultural value here mm -hmm. um, that it it would be incredibly interesting to bring it into the whole circle of music therapy, for example, mm -hmm. where instruments are part of that healing process. Oh yeah, um, and that's where my thinking is leading. Mm -hmm. um, okay, where can people find out more about your work, uh, listen to your music, where can they go? Um, there, well, I have the YouTube channel, uh, right now, well, otakband.com, and has information about also some of the other musicians uh, that have played with the group, otakband.com, and then all the social media, YouTube and Instagram, same name, otakband. Um, I kind of go through waves of keeping that up, the social media, but... Um, um, I, I try to, you know, I try to main, maintain those. Yeah, it's a full-time um, job. <laughs> Social so, media. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's just for spelling, it's O-T-A-A-K-Band.com. Yeah, right. And the links will be in the description below, whether you're watching this podcast on YouTube or whether you're listening through it on audio. Great. So a pleasure to have you on, Miguel, to learn of this important work you're doing. And yeah, um, I hope people will reach out to you over time and... You know mm -hmm. get this project to grow more basically which would be fascinating so to follow so great having you on thanks very much thanks very much to you take care mm -hmm.